Welcome to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. It's no secret that Asia is home to some of the most dynamic, innovative, and game-changing companies in the world. Join us as we survey the land to find the most profitable investment opportunities that will allow you to capitalize off this next wave of wealth creation. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced with the goal of providing actionable insights with every single episode. And now, onto the show. Hey, Stanley, how are you doing? Hey, how are you, Jay? Thank you for joining us. And we're yeah. very fortunate to have you because you're actually one of the few sort of uh, value investors that I've found uh, right. in Asia that actually right. uh, sort of preach uh, the, the value uh, philosophy uh, and method of investing, <laughs> which I actually uh, appreciate as well. And uh, the fund that I work at, we also are very value driven and uh, sort of long bias, bottom, bottom up, very deep fundamental type approach to investing. Yep. So, and I found it's rare uh, to encounter that amongst, even amongst uh, the asset managers within Asia. A lot of people, most of my peers in Hong Kong uh, are very China focused and uh. a lot of momentum uh, type traders uh, are in the are in the game, so I'm very happy to have you here. Uh, thank you for your thank time you. and for joining us. So why don't you start off by just giving us a quick introduction um, of who you are and uh, and how you got into the business? Right, thank you, Jay. I think you're you're quite right. Value investor here in Asia, like ourselves, is definitely an endangered species. Uh, <laughs> So a little bit about myself, I have been uh, investing in the Asian stock market roughly about uh, 10 years now. And uh, I started out working as an engineer, but um, I have moved into the finance industry about six years ago. But um, throughout the the decade, I have uh, tried to learn more about value investing and I mainly invest in markets like Hong Kong, Singapore, and uh, my home country uh, in Malaysia previously. And... uh, uh, in my investing uh, and find uh, my career, I have worked in both the a family office, like uh, multi-family office, and also most recently in the advisory side as an analyst for the Motley Fool Singapore. Oh right. Yep, yep. So um, we started out about four years ago, and I was one of the first few staff to to start up the business. And right now, we are just more focusing on uh, our investment block, valueinvestasia.com. And I also manage some, uh, some portion of funds for my family as well. Yeah. I see. Okay. So, um, so Motley Fool, I didn't actually know that they, have a, they had an Asian uh, presence, but uh, yeah. I followed them very closely in the States. And uh, David Gardner, who started the the site, was actually a uh, he went to the same college university as I did, and he right. was uh, in the same fraternity as me. So I know uh, Motley okay. Fool very well. I met him once back when I was still a college student, and he came back as an alumni. So yeah, but I love yeah. the site. I love the, the the work that gets put out there. Uh, it's very valuable, and so um, so I'm 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 intrigued because I I haven't stumbled upon. The Motley Fool Asia, but I will definitely uh, go look at that now. And yeah. so you said that you uh, you you started off um, managing some family office money, was it? And then yep. now you do uh, also private investments, but you also have your own blog, Value Invest Asia. Is that right? 
Yeah, that's right. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your experience uh, coming up under the value investing school uh, of investing because uh, there's obviously there's many different ways to make money in the markets. The markets are very abundant. We both know mm-hmm. that. Uh, and it, it takes a certain type of personality, I believe, and a certain type of characteristic to be a value investor. Um, I certainly believe that if you don't know anything about investing in the stock market, particularly stock market, uh, it's a great way to start uh, by Mm -hmm. educating yourselves with some of the books from the greats, you know, Benjamin Graham and and Warren Buffett and and the likes of that. But uh, how did you get into value investing uh, to begin with? Right. Um, I I can't remember the full story right now, but uh, I started learning about investing maybe at the final year of my university. I started to learn about more about investing, but uh, I, I graduated as an engineer. So when I first moved into a manufacturing company to work as an engineer uh, in Malaysia, uh, my first salary was about maybe 300 US dollars a month. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was still quite optimistic. I say maybe I'll slowly work my way up and save and invest, <laughs> right? Uh, but then one day I happened to stumble upon a pay slip of my manager, oh. which which was stuck uh, at the photocopying machine, and it's my direct manager who has been working in the company for about twenty odd years. And I will not repeat the figure here, but <laughs> it makes my resolve to, to start to look for alternative. And so I really got very interested in, in, in investing. And then I went on to take the CFA course uh, in hope to change my career, which, which, which I did to move into the finance line. And that's basically how I, I got started uh, in, in value investing. I see. Right. So was the initial family office that you joined, were they also... Uh, practicing value investing as well? Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, but, but they manage it more of uh, totality. So they, they might invest in other things like bonds and, and uh, uh, all the other assets as well. But uh, for, for my part as the analyst, I focus more on, on, on value. I see. Okay. So uh, it sounds like, um, yeah, it sounds like you, there was some self-study involved and, uh, and, you, you kind of saw, you had a glimpse of your future uh, by looking at your boss's pay stub. So fortunately for you, you were able to, to make a move uh, and take matters into your own hands. So, um, okay, so now let's fast forward. You, you spent some time working at the family office and then uh, what, what made you want to start this blog, Value Invest Asia, uh, and subsequently you're running some money yourself, friends and family, I, I, I imagine. Um, and, uh, and, and I also know you're, you're writing a book that's about to be released, which we'll talk about later, yeah, but, um, thank you. what made you want to basically go all in on this value investing theme? <laughs> right. The, the main reason why we started the blog and, and even write the book is because we, we, after investing for quite some time in, in the market, we realized that, um, Asia stocks are not that well researched upon or, or covered uh, in, in Asia and even on the internet and a lot of the value investing stuff are geared to wait towards uh, US market and so we really wanted a space where we 
provide uh, fundamental research and independent research on on Asia stocks based on the value investing concept. And that's why we created the blog and that's why we wrote the book. We just wanted to uh, introduce to people, hey, there's, there's a way of investing that is more logical rather than following the crowd. And we want to run them through the process of how to do that and help them to have a space to connect with each other. I see. So how long have you been running the blog now for? Uh, we only officially launched it at the beginning of the year. So oh, okay. yeah, but uh, on and off, we in, in the past, we're just writing it more or less like a hobby for a year. Mm. And then uh, we just uh, officially launched it uh, with me working full time on the blog uh, starting this year. Oh, that's pretty, uh, that's, uh, congrats. I think, uh, I think a lot of, a lot of, uh, investors uh and and people in finance they they sort of they have thoughts and they have musings and and a blog is a great way for them to capture that whether Mm -hmm. people read it or not but a lot of times uh it can turn into you can get a following and and you know um a lot of things i know from myself a lot of things that i want to say at work i can't say out loud (laughs) so i i just write it down you know because i might offend someone or i might it might just sound ludicrous or crazy uh but that's just one of these things um, I think that all of us investors go through. So, yeah. um, okay, so let's dive into value investing then. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite topics because, um, you know, like I said, I, I myself am very, when it, when it comes to a certain, certain types of investing, uh, investments in globally, we, we look at global equities. Um, right. And as you said, it's very much con- catered towards the West and, and more developed markets such as the US and, and maybe Europe. Um, mm-hmm. In Asia, there's a lot of nuances, a lot of just structural differences between the markets here, less mature. Um, yep. And, you know, a lot of things uh, are not as efficient as the West. So value investing is, is all the more challenging. Um, so uh, what are what was sort of... Um, let, let, let's start from the beginning. Like if you were to educate someone, uh, let's say, how, how can you be a value investor in Asia successfully? Um, mm-hmm. What's the best way to, to frame the best framework or the structure to walk someone through that process? Right. I, I think um, maybe we can go back to what value investing is really about yes. in the beginning. Right. Uh, I think a lot of people might have different um, understanding of what value investing is about and they might see it as a strategy to invest. But, but, but to us, value investing is more of a philosophy of investing and you can be a deep value investor or you can be a growth investor or income investor, but we, we can all be considered as value investors. And some of the main common traits of a value investor is uh, I, I think comes down to maybe four points where all of us will look at a stock as a business, right? I, I think Benjamin Graham always said that the, the famously said that uh, investing is mo- most intelligent when it's most business-like, and that's what most uh, value investors want to do. We want to view stocks as businesses and focus on the risk and reward that the business provides, and also uh, value investor will focus on. Um, maybe the intri- calculating the intrinsic value of a business. We, we feel that a business should have a, a, a value to it 
and we will try to estimate what the value is. And together with the concept of margin of safety, uh, if you, if for someone who do not know what margin of safety is, um, if you are an engineer, you will know that uh, this, what the safety factor is about. If we have to design the bridge to withstand, say, a thousand ton, we are not going to design the bridge to just hold a thousand ton, right? We're going to want to design it to hold 2,000 or 3,000 ton mm. to have some safety factor. Right. Similarly, in investing, margin of safety is in a way for us to have a buffer. Like if I estimate the intrinsic value of a company to be five, $5, I'm not going to buy it at $5. I might buy it at uh, $3 or two up $2.50 to give me a, a margin of safety of say 50%. And, and that's, that's something that most value investor would agree on. And lastly, I would, I would say that value investors would, uh, would agree that the market sometimes can be illogical and very emotional. And uh, it's our job to take advantage of the, of the market when it is uh, overly excited, uh, become greedy, and take advantage of it when it's uh, in, in a panic mode. So I think these four points are what uh, put value investors together as one, regardless of whether you are, you are a deep value who focus on valuation more or you are a growth person who focus more on the growth story of the company. Right. That's a pretty good uh, synopsis. I think, um, you know, uh, Seth Kleinman wrote Margin of Safety, which is one of the, the all-time classic books uh, regarding value investing. And um, when you talk about margin of safety, it's, it's, it's sort of one of these things where, again, you're focused on asymmetric risk reward. So you want to make sure that whichever position or bet that you're making um, the worst case scenario, you'll lose a much smaller percentage of amount of money than the potential upside. And I think that for, you know, when, when you talk about that last uh, point, which is sort of the emotion behind investing, I think that's, that's one of, for, to me, value investing is, is, uh, is very emotional and it's, it's the balance and control of your emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, so many people that, you know, that jump into investing without really knowing what they're doing or get very emotional with trading and and you know <laughs> they they they'll they'll buy high buy high and sell low and and just pre- perform the rest like the rest of the market um and they'll always underperform because you know you're, you're just trading off of emotion and so you have yep. logic goes out the door and you know i've been there too uh, i'm not gonna lie you know when i was when i first started off eager you know coming out of school i made my first paycheck or bonus and I threw it in the market and I thought I knew I was doing and then I lost it all because when it's your real money, uh, you don't think rationally anymore. And so I think uh, the psychology behind uh, value investing is very important to to master. Uh, And like you said, when there's blood in the streets, when there's dislocation in the markets, those are the opportunities that you need to be able to take advantage of to generate those outsized returns. And they don't come in very often, but you know, I mean, it, to have, uh, you know, a, a enough gunpowder or, or, or cash and, you know, from a portfolio theory uh, perspective, you know, having enough cash uh, on the sideline ready to take advantage of those points uh, in, 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 market, in the market, disruptions in the market is also uh, a way of, of, of modeling your portfolio to have a margin of safety, right? You need to have gunpowder to take advantage of these situations. So, 
Um, okay, so now let's talk about, let's focus more on Asia now. Okay, so there's, uh, when you talk about traditional stock market in the U.S. and Western, uh, and, you know, shareholder, shareholder return and what good corporate governance is and, and, and this sort of thing, uh, I've, in my opinion, you know, I've been, I haven't been out here as long as you have, but I've been out here for over a decade and, and been, been trading the markets for a while. You know, the, the, the level of corporate governance and uh, <laughs> shareholder friendliness is just, it's just night and day difference than the U.S. <laughs> so, um, so that's an additional challenge, a huge challenge, especially for a value yep. investor, because these are sort of things that you rely on uh, corporations to do and management to do is to be following the same tenets that, that all companies should be doing, which is trying to maximize shareholder value and return. And so how do you uh, navigate around these potential pitfalls that we're faced with out here in Asia just due to the lack of transparency, lack of corporate governments, um, and, and just nuances of the infrastructure, you know, government Governments sometimes are heavily involved in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, the government can come in or, or an SEO can come in and bail out a company um, and completely destroy any sort of fundamentals that, that, that companies trade on. So uh, how do you navigate through this, Stanley? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I think you give a very good uh, summary of what <laughs> <laughs> investing in Asia is really about. I think uh, people have to understand that... Uh, investing in Asia, sometimes when you spot a good business, it might not necessarily be a good investment, mm. right? There's a difference between a good business and a good investment. And a lot of time is due to what the management view on minority shareholder is and also what the main shareholders view on minority shareholders are. And uh, we take it for granted in the West or on the US market. When we buy a stock, we assume uh, kind of like, the, the managers will treat us fairly. Uh, that's not to say that uh, all the company in, in, in the West will treat shareholders fairly. There's also the, end of, the other end of the spectrum. But in Asia, I think we have to assume the, others, the other way. Like uh, <laughs> they are, all of them are guilty unless proven, <laughs> proven otherwise. That's right? actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, a way to do it is um, just try to invest in company with a longer track record and uh, they have proven uh, over the longer term that uh, they have not done anything too wild to uh, to harm the minority shareholders like diluting them or having all the family members in the board of directors or working in the family or just having a lot of re- related party transactions and things like that, right? And... Uh, we have we have to understand um, what is fair is actually uh, a very subjective view because mm. uh, Asia is still pre- predominantly a lot of the corporation, even big corporation, are family-owned business, mm. and they might not see that uh, have, having a minority shareholder coming into the business, uh, they might not feel that you taking uh, the, the percentage of profit from the business is fair to them because they have built up the business themselves and we are just someone who wanted to tack on their growth, right? right? So uh, in, in a way, I kind of understand both sides of the story, but uh, it, it, we have to find a balance, okay? Um, there's there's a, a wide spectrum of fairness and I think sometimes 
we have to be able to reach a point where we say, yeah, they, they, they are relatively fair to minority shareholders. And, uh, that that should be good enough for us. And and in the whole Asia market, we are still talking about, I think, close to maybe ten thousand companies. We don't really need that much uh, to to build a portfolio, right? Mm. Anywhere around thirty. That's that's more than enough sure. for a personal pet portfolio. So I think still be very selective, uh, and always, yeah, just always assume the worst until you find proof that it's not the case. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I like that methodology. Uh, it, it's very much opposite, and it's it's funny that when you say always assume that they're guilty first. And in the same way, when a company goes public uh, in the West, you you assume that the the company treats the shareholders as owners of the business, whereas yeah. in Asia they just view them like you said. Oh, they're just trying to latch onto the growth of our family business that just yeah. so happens to be listed, but I don't know who these shareholders are. Very yeah. funny. Um, so, okay. So let's talk about, uh, if you don't mind, let's, can, we, can you walk us through sort of uh, your investment process? Let's say um, you want to screen uh, Asia for, uh, for, for companies uh, that could fall into uh, you know, a bucket where you could then spend some more time and analyze them closer. Uh, what are some simple metrics that uh, maybe some of our audience members, listeners can can use to just do a general screening and some simple red flags that you can just rule out, okay, this company is no good, no good. I don't want to even waste my time uh, looking mm-hmm. further into this. Uh, maybe I can just focus on this, these handfuls. Right. Um, okay. And I, I first have to say that my maybe my, my, my method of investing has sort of evolved over time. So in the beginning, I'm very um, qual- quantitative. So I, I, will, I will screen for um, very cheap stock, like cheap price to book or very low PE and things like that. Uh, but over time now, uh, at more recently, I, I tend to focus more on the business first mm-hmm. and uh, we will come across uh, companies every now, even if you've just read the news and, and I will re- read into the company annual report and understand what the business is really about. And only when the business is attractive to, attractive to me and I like the dynamics of the business, the future of the business, then I will start looking at the valuation. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of my friends are still uh, focusing on the valuation and, and, and I can see that both strategy has worked out quite quite well mm. uh, but if you are more uh, quality, uh, quantitative when you want to view more on the valuation uh, you have to be prepared to invest or, or come across more questionable companies and you have to do your due diligence more carefully whereas for myself if I focus more on on the, on the good business and a good entrepreneur running the business and things like that um, more often than not I will have uh, a, a better business partner in a sense running the business and uh, interestingly sometimes um, even in say if, if you're talking about markets like Singapore where it's very yield driven and, and some of the REITs themselves it, they don't really need a specialized management and they provide reasonable return as well. So uh, it's, it's just the way how I build my portfolio. Maybe at the base, I will have very stable and uh, 
just defensive companies and then uh, only venture into uh, higher growth companies at the very top of my my portfolio and so in in a way it's more of uh, building up the proper portfolio and uh, take the risk at at the at the portion where you are comfortable of losing so right um i i, I tend to agree with the way you uh initially screen companies i mean <laughs> What, there's a saying, I, I think it's Buffett or, or someone says a, a, a bad company at a cheap price is still a bad company or something, <laughs> something along those lines, right? It's exactly yes. what you're saying, right? I mean, yeah. you, could have, you could have the bombed out cheapest uh, valuation trading under book or, or uh, historical all-time lows, but if it's, if it's still a bad company, that's, that's not going to really change anything. Yeah. And you might get a trading uh, pop uh, at where you could see uh, some growth uh, in a short, short amount of time, but that's not going to change the nature of the business or, or the management or how it's run. So um, I, I completely agree with you on that front. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it takes, it takes, I would say it takes probably a lot more work to go to really qualitatively understand a company and, and, and be comfortable with, uh, the type of business they're running and the management as opposed to just quickly screening for valuation. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times you, when you find good companies, they're not actually trading at the right price yet. Um, but the good thing is if you keep them on your radar, you do the work ahead of time, then you just need patience. And, you know, when those markets dislocate and, and, uh, and you have cash ready, you can pick these companies up at the right price. And so yep. um, those are the perfect opportunities, you know, Value investors always love major market corrections and, and long tail events because they're sitting there waiting with their pile of cash ready to buy in on these great <laughs> companies that they've done all their work ahead of time uh, at, at just ready and waiting at the right entry price, right? So, yep. um, so which uh, are you, do you look at Pan-Asia or is there certain countries that you favor that perhaps has better uh, corporate governance or, uh, or, or management? <laughs> Or companies in general, uh, I generally look across uh, Pan Asia, focusing more on the Asia, uh, ASEAN market and also in uh, in Hong Kong and, and the Asia's. Um, but uh, I, in a way, I feel that um, different markets offer different opportunities. And say, uh, like if you talk about the Singapore market, is a very yield-oriented market. So uh, if you are looking for good dividend counters, those are the good place to to hunt for them. Mm-hmm. And especially in the in the in the real estate investment trust space in Singapore, I think a lot of them are still quite attractive. You you can get yield like six to eight percent, right? Uh, and and some, owning some of the best asset in Singapore. So it's uh, to me, is relatively uh, good enough if mm-hmm. if you're just looking for a stable return. Uh, but if you are venturing more into into growth, um, I think it, it might sound a bit cliche, but it, it, I think China is still the way to go. Yeah. Uh, China has a lot, still a lot of uh, growth opportunity for their com- companies, and even many of them are starting to expand overseas, right? And we're starting this to see this trend where 
Chinese companies and uh, brands are becoming more mainstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way, it's similar to, I guess, what's happened to Japan in the 80s or, or Korea sure. in, in, in the 90s, where they all started out as just a low-quality knockoff, but then slowly gaining acceptance and becoming more mainstream, right? So uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the like brands in China like Lenovo or Huawei or even the cars, uh, automotive brands will one day, one of them, a few of them might become as uh, as global as Toyota or Samsung, you know? Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I think you're right there. I mean, China has, for, for all its shortcomings, it's, I, I think in the last actually five to 10 years, the innovation that has happened is just incredible. And, and it's yeah. like you said, there's, you know, an example that comes to the top of my head is like the drone company, DJI. Yeah. Like that's like world, that's a world-class product, right? I mean, that's, that's like, everyone knows that and it's made in China, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's probably the best drone in the world right now, you know, for commercial, yeah. uh, for consumer use. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, okay, so, um, and, and just going back to your Singapore uh, suggestions, those, um, the sort of dividend yield plays there, at Singapore is, is, uh, is very easy to trade. I know that almost every sort of broker platform will offer uh, mm-hmm. Singapore shares um, if, if people want to get involved in that. Um, one question I, I wanted to ask you, uh, since it seems like you have some experience in the Singapore market, um, you know, there's, there's talks that the, the market itself is sort of undervalued and there might be some room for growth as a whole. Obviously, Asian markets are on fire this year. It's hard for, it's hard being a, you know, I'm an Asian fund manager uh, and I'm, bent, I'm not really benchmarked against indices, but when I look at the indices, they're, they're all beating me. You know I mean? <laughs> like HSI is up 25%. It's insane. I, yeah. I don't know how, uh, well... If you're if you're a relative performance fund, it's going to be difficult to, to match. But so Singapore, uh, I know that liquidity was an issue within the mark the equity markets for a while, and um, mm-hmm. I know the exchange has been trying to uh, aggressively, you know, bring some more companies to list there, and and just trying to take some measures uh, to to market uh, Singapore a little bit better and boost liquidity. What what are your views on on Singapore and the market as a whole? Right. Uh- yeah, I think you're right to point out the Singapore market has uh, has been struggling a little bit uh, over the past few years. And even if you look at the overall valuation now, I think Singapore market is still one of the more reasonable price market across Asia. Like uh, if the last I checked, the indices of PE was about 12 times, yep. where Hang Seng is about 15. Even, even Malaysia, KLCI is about 16. So it's still one of the relatively cheaper ones. Um, and we have been seeing in Singapore a, a, a long strain of uh, buyouts. A lot of companies have been buying out either with um, the venture capital f- uh, funds coming in to buy out them or even just the main shareholder taking them private due to the valuation. And of course, the, the low financing that uh, low financing interest now is does help in the buyout space, uh, but I think uh, Singapore more or less has find a niche in the the REITs market and the business trust market. So, like I said before, it's a very you oriented market. Mm. The the investors here really like uh, dividend and and high yield. So uh, I think they have been 
able to attract more of this uh, uh, investment trust to list in Singapore. And we are starting to see a lot of uh, even Chinese asset coming into Singapore to list. Uh, I think the most recent one they're going to IPO soon is the HNA uh, related REIT. And and, uh, so we might see more and more of that coming to Singapore. And uh, because this is just the market, uh, is a space where the market likes uh, yield. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's it's a good it's good to have a layer of yield on, in your portfolio uh, as a sort of baseline um, product. Uh, even in, as you're diversifying your portfolio, it's always good to have that sort of stable yield uh, element to it. And I think that um, you know, given given the fundamentals of of the market, there it's definitely it's a, it's an attractive place to to be looking for those. Uh, types of of uh, plays in Singapore, um, Stanley. What about what? What are your views? Uh, you know, as we sort of look to transition to the second half of this uh, this chat, um, can you give us any sort of broad market views uh, for this year? Where, where you think? I mean, this has been a very interesting year um, from a value investor perspective. Uh, a lot of I mean, look, you've, you've seen the debates going on in the, in the States, value investing is dead, this sort of thing, and, <laughs> and the markets are, are ridiculously overpriced and, uh, and, and expensive, at least U.S. equity markets. Um, and, you know, after the, the change of the administration, there's a lot of strange things happening. VIX is at all-time lows. People are scratching their heads trying to figure out what's going to happen with the markets. From a value investor's perspective, what does this mean to you? What... what where are you looking for potential opportunities uh, going forward? Right. I, I think you are right that uh, a lot of people are seeing value investing as a, a date strategy. <laughs> and and the, 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 the performance of the market is, is really worrying my, me as well. Uh, because when I, the last I checked, about 95% of all my stocks is in the green this year. So... <laughs> It's a bit worrying because I know I'm not that smart. <laughs> so, which is which is a value investor's trait. <laughs> is when when things are going too well, you get very very nervous. That's all, something only value investors will experience. Yeah, most yeah, people so, will be out partying, high fiving, <laughs> opening champagne. But value investors are very very nervous right now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So uh, what I have been doing for the past few months is just uh, paring down a lot of the companies that I'm not that comfortable with in the longer term and just uh, raising the, the cash uh, portion of my portfolio, right? I, I think I'm around about 20% cash right now. And uh, most of the company that I owned uh, will be company where I am really um, optimistic about the long-term future of the company. I do not mind holding them through to a market downturn and, and and plus no one's really have a crystal ball so I, I I have no idea when when the market will correct uh, right but uh, so in a way we want to be prepared but uh, since we have no crystal ball we still have to invest and we will just invest in company that we are really comfortable and optimistic about in, in the lo- next 10 or 20 years right down the road yeah yeah, I mean, I've I've heard we've heard analogies of, of value investing uh, parallels to to sort of running a PE fund. Like, let's say you could you couldn't touch the investment for ten years. What, mm-hmm. what you know would that change 
the way you invest. And, and, you know, it really shouldn't as a value investor, you shouldn't, I mean, just the fact that you can't touch it in 10 years, you know, I mean, that should actually make you more confident in your picks and, and really fall in love with the company that you are, are partnering up with or investing in. Um, okay. So last sort of, uh, markets type question, um, before we sort of move to our last segment here, if there's, you can answer either one of these, if there's one trade or, or investing idea that you're really excited about, um, what is it? Or if you don't want to talk about that, if there's one piece of value investing advice you can give to the audience listening in, um, what would that be? Or you could give both if you want. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay, maybe I'll start with uh, the the company that I'm more uh, optimistic about, and I, I think as we as we discussed previously on on the the future of some of the Chinese companies, uh, I, I think that uh, although the the big brands like Lenovo, uh, things like that, they might become more international in in the future. But I think what's really leading the charge of uh, Chinese company becoming uh, the leader in, in the future is really the tech space. And so uh, like the, the likes of the, the BAT, Baidu, Alibaba and Tencent, uh, although I, I didn't invest in them uh, this year, but uh, I've been holding them for, for quite, quite a few years now. And those are companies that I, I would still continue to hold. And, and own them. And uh, just because of the huge uh, pace of innovation that is coming out from this company. And in the past, we see that uh, Chinese company are the copycats of, of the world. But in the tech space, uh, we are starting to see a lot of uh, the global company, the Western company starting to copy what these three companies right. are doing. Yeah. So, so in a way, I see it as a big shift and I'm really, really optimistic of them in the future, right? That's and also good, if you, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I was just going to interject real quick and, and I think you hit the nail on the head. That what the first thing that comes to my mind is obviously Tencent with yeah. their, their mobile wallet. You go up to China and no one carries a wallet anymore. Everyone just pays <laughs> with their mobile phone, you know, and this is something that, that China has far quickly exceeded the West and the West is now scrambling to try to catch up to this technology. And that's integrated in the chat. It's a, it's a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a chat program. It was a gaming program as a chat program. And now it's everything like that's yeah. the entire life is in that one program. So um, sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, um, no, no. Yeah. That Tencent is definitely a very, very interesting uh, company. Uh, in fact, because I, I'm, I'm not based in China, so we don't really use uh, Tencent or WeChat uh, here in Singapore. But uh, I tend to, in, in the past, I listened to a lot of uh, speech by Jack Ma. And a lot of times when he talked about Tencent, he, 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 he t- tend to not talk, uh, not say the company name. Like uh, Tencent is the one that he who must not be named. Oh, right. like that. So, so, but all the other companies, he's comfortable of, of naming them out. So in a way, he, he led me to think there must be something uh, in Tencent that he, he himself is uh, so guarded of. against. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that got me interested in, in the company and, and Very research more about <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but on the tips of uh, if you're a foreign investor who mm-hmm. want to start 
investing in Asia, yes, I would say definitely start with a market that you have a little bit uh, information about uh, that you're already comfortable with and uh, try to, uh, if you've spotted a, a company, a, a country to start investing in, try to uh, work your way from the larger company first, where they are the more established company in in the in the region. Don't try running to find the next Alibaba or the next Tencent in, right. in the market, right? Uh, ex- especially uh, in the market now, I think more often than not, the next Tencent might be just Tencent, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and also find company with good track record, uh, a, a long track record, and don't rush into buying IPOs uh, in a way because we, we not just want to buy into good companies, we want to buy into good management and we have to have a good long track record on how the management is treating shareholders to give you a better understanding if the return from the company can actually flow to you as an investor. Right. That's great advice, Stanley. Uh, thank you for that. Um, okay, let's talk about, I want to talk about you. Uh, you're, you're working on some exciting things. Uh, you have a book that is, it's not out yet, right? It's coming out very soon. You want to talk about <laughs> yes. that? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, my co-writer and I, uh, also a co-founder of our, our blog, uh, we just written a, a book called Value Investing in Asia. So it's basically, we, when we started out, we, we feel that a lot of the books and references are geared toward the US market. So we wanted to create a book that is more practical and it shows you how to apply value investing in Asia. And we include a lot of the real life example and case studies and even companies that we have invested in. And we tried to go around and interviewing some of the more famous fund managers in Asia and talk to them about their strategy in investing in Asia. And these are people who have achieved like a 15 to 20% annual return for the past 10 to 20 years. So these are people who really know how to invest in Asia and we tack on to them to learn from them how, how they do it. Uh, so, so that's what the book is about. Yeah, like you said, it's, it's not officially out yet, but it's already out for pre-order on Amazon and on Book Depository. You can just search for it at Value Investing in Asia. Fantastic. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. We will have the, all the links uh, in the notes. I'm looking forward to that book. Um, I think I've Thank actually you. already pre-ordered it. Because uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm really interesting, interested to, uh, to read it. I mean, Look, I, I, um, if you Google search value investing in Asia, uh, you're like the only hit that comes up. And then when I searched for it, uh, this was uh, uh, maybe a couple months ago, but it hadn't been out for pre-order yet. So the only right. book out there on value investing in Asia wasn't even available yet. So I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that it's coming to print soon. And um, where can people find you, follow you, uh, you know, maybe, maybe learn a little bit more about you? Are you... Now, are you you're you're not taking active uh, you're not taking outside money at the moment, right? You're just managing no. sort of yeah. internal cash, right? Yeah. Um, is there plans to potentially launch a fund down uh, the line? <laughs> uh, uh, never say never, but I I, <laughs> I don't see it uh, happening now because uh, we're more focused on the financial uh, block that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And if you want to uh, 
get in touch. Uh, we are on Facebook and Twitter, uh, or you can just go to our website. It's valueinvestasia.com. And for all the listeners here, we actually have a free ebook for you to download if, if you want. Okay. It's our stock guide, which include our top 10 watch list stock for the year. Uh, it's free to download on our website, or you can just uh, follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Perfect. Yeah, we will definitely have that linked up. Um, and, uh, that's a great way for investors to start if they want to look, start looking into Asia. Like I said, I think, uh, you know, there's obviously the markets are very abundant. There's many ways to make money off the market, but I think if there's one way that you should start off with, no matter which direction you go later on, it is learning sort of the fundamentals and about value investing. So there you go. Uh, we will have that book linked up. Stanley, thanks yep. so much for your time. I, I had a really good time uh, catching up with you. I really appreciate uh, you sharing your experience and giving a lot of insight to the audience about how to invest in Asia. So we really appreciate right. it. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for inviting us. All right. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next exciting episode of The Jay Kim Show. As always, I'd love to hear your questions, comments, or future guest suggestions. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer. That's J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you in the next episode.